Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And we sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing folks all around the country, all around the world, and from the Baton Rouge area as well. That's it. With the right area code and world code, code, There you go. You can reach us from anywhere in the world. Just have to adjust for the time, but other than that, you may have to get <laughs> the middle of the night to call there you <laughs> go depending on where you're located but we sure wish you would we always enjoy hearing from folks and it makes the show more interesting i think definitely if not you just got to listen to me and brian sit here and <laughs> jack jabber, our back. Jaw. <laughs> jabber back and forth <laughs> we hope that's interesting as well there you go we were talking this morning just before we came in about different topics and stuff we hadn't touched on in a while uh-huh. and one thing i don't think we've talked a whole lot about lately and that is the safety systems on vehicles right and generally how much safer vehicles are today than they than were they used to just be. several years ago. Right. Even back when cars came out, there was there weren't even seatbelts in cars until well, the 50s. Yeah, there was absolutely nothing. And uh, Right. You were sitting in an open carriage, basically, with an engine on it. Sit, that sit, was it. Sitting on a box. And people didn't drive very fast and certainly didn't drive very far either. Right. And there weren't very many cars on the road, so it wasn't a big threat. However, as cars got faster and people drove further and there were more and more cars on the road, pretty soon somebody ran into somebody else <laughs> and on and on it went. And what they realize is there's a nasty little principle of physics and that's right. called inertia. And what inertia is, is that a body in motion wants to stay in motion. And because you're sitting on that seat and your body has weight, when that car stops all of a sudden, you want to keep, keep on moving. going. That's right. <laughs> 70 miles an hour, if that's what the car is doing. And that dashboard is not a very inviting place. Well, and the windshield is traveling zero miles an hour, and you're traveling 70, and what's between it and you is your face. That's it. It's not going to be inviting. So lots of systems have evolved to deal with this and make sure. it a whole lot safer and a whole lot easier for everybody. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. All Let's right. catch a couple of our phone calls first. We got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. Changed my anti. I tried to change my antifreeze in my Ford Taurus. What uh-huh. I did was, I got the engine hot. I pulled the bottom hose and I drained it all I could get out of it. Uh-huh. I filled it. Took about five and a half quarts of premix. Yeah. Fill it back up. Mm-hmm. And that's wasn't enough because yeah. it holds eleven and a half. Exactly. So I run it a couple of days mm-hmm. and I done it again. Yeah. And still got about five quarts left. Um, you think I ought to go and do it again? It wouldn't hurt. You The first time around, you probably got about 50%. The second time, you got about 75%. The third time, you'll probably get somewhere 85 or so. I mean, you can never get to zero or 100%. The only way to do that would be to take the engine out and physically take, take it, it apart. Burn it and upside down and shake it. Exactly. Right, <laughs> because you're constantly diluting some of the cleans coming back out with some of the dirty. Right. But And that's the whole point of doing it several times yeah. because if – if you wait till it gets contaminated, Depleted. then you're trying to flush out contaminated fluid. Right. Whereas if you do it a little bit ahead of time, where well, right. the fluid is still good. Whatever remains in there is not going to be a big hazard right. for you. You're getting most of it out, and what's left is not totally diluted so, uh, okay. or depleted. So, yeah, I think you're doing good. I won't do it one more time, man. There you go. All right, Herb. Thanks, sir. Thanks for calling me. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love hearing from you. And going back to our phone lines, George. Good morning, George. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. Well, look, I have a 2013 Chevy truck using this synthetic oil. Mm-hmm. Is it a good practice? Some of it says it can be go for, I've heard some, up to 25,000 miles. That's not true. Now, George, that truck requires oil that meets the Dexos standard. Right. And Dexos is not an oil. It's a standard or specification. 
at very least, you're going to have to have a synthetic blend to meet Dexos. And a pure synthetic is better. Now, the reason you use a synthetic oil is because it has characteristics that can deal with the forces that are in that motor, which it's designed for. And they're having trouble with camshafts wearing out, so that's one of the reasons they went to that. Soon they're going to redesign the engine's overhead cam engine. They're going to have long timing change, and they had to get ready for that. So these are the reasons why using synthetic oil. All this hoopla about going longer is really false economy, in my opinion. What happens, synthetic oil necessarily costs more than regular oil. So to try to make it more cost-effective, a lot of people say, well, you can go longer. Now, the fact is, synthetic oil is going to get a lot dirtier than regular oil, simply because it's a better detergent. The length of time that you can go between changes really doesn't have that much to do with the oil as it does the way you operate the vehicle. For instance, the way oil is going to clean itself and get the liquid contaminants out, because the, you know, the particulate contaminants, the filter will take out, but liquid contaminants such as moisture, coolant that leaks into it, gasoline that gets into it, all these sorts of things just go right through that filter. And that's the real problem. The way those get out is that when the oil gets up to about 275 degrees, full operating temperature, any of that stuff boils. When it boils, it turns to steam, it rises up, and the system sucks it out. But if, let's say you, like most people, and you get in your truck and you drive five miles to the grocery store, you shut it off. Then it sits there for an hour or two, then you come back out and you drive home and it sits all day. Or maybe you go to work three or four or five miles and you cut it off and it sits there all day. Under those conditions, it's never going to get to full operating temperature. So if you're like most people and you're making short trips, you got to change your oil a lot more frequently. Now, let's say you live in Baton Rouge and you work in New Orleans. You drive 75 miles one way twice a day well that guy can go longer because his engine's at full temperature it's running it's cleaning itself it's doing its job so the use of the vehicle is going to dictate how long you go and if you got to air you want to air on the side of changing it too often because the cost of not doing that is just going to be exponential you can start getting hard seals in the engine you're going to start getting worn parts in the engine it's going to cost you a fortune we're changing engines out at 105 to 110,000 miles every day now. Which was unheard of back 10, ten, years, ten years ago. ago. That was unheard of. Engines would go 300,000 miles. But when they started coming out with these extended oil changes, I mean, they're eating engines up right and left. So you need to, you got to use a Dexos equivalent oil in that engine. If you want to use fully synthetic, that's even better. But I wouldn't do it for the reason of trying to go longer on the change. Okay. All thank right. you. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Scott online. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got an 03 Toyota Camry with mm-hmm. 255,000 miles. Okay, good for you. Early in the week, I had a rough idle that just came up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you guys are so busy, I couldn't get in over there. Mm-hmm. So I had to step out into the jungle. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> And picked somebody that I'd never been to. Mm-hmm. And what the outcome was, the check engine light ended up coming on to it, you know, through a code, mm-hmm. something with cylinder with uh, with number two. Yeah, cylinder misfire. So, right. So they determined that since I had just had my plugs changed over AAA, mm-hmm. that coil wire, ignition coil. Could be a call, yes, sir. Call failure. That particular cylinder mm-hmm. was out. Could be. So they replaced that. Mm-hmm. Since it, it, you know, there's one for each of the four. There cylinders. is. Mm-hmm. Replace that one, and it's you know it's back to running like a champ. Okay. My question is, 
since I had one fail, is that a is that a, a thing that I can look forward to the other three failing, or is that just it can happen, knows? Scott? Certain vehicles have a lot of trouble with the calls. Toyota doesn't have so much. I see it occasionally. Now Ford constantly has call failure. Nissan has had a tremendous amount of call failure. Toyota not so much. Occasionally they go out. Usually I change the one that's bad and go with that because sometimes the other three will last the life of the car. It right. is not out of the realm of possibility another one can fail. It's an electrical device, and you know they do fail. What happens if you wait too long before you change the plugs? It puts a lot more strain on them, even though you've had them changed. If you went kind of long before you changed them, the computer just starts to give it more duty cycle on the call to make it fire. And that right. excessive duty cycle tends to wear the call. It gets it hot, and it breaks down the insulation, and it fails internally. But, I mean, just because one failed, I wouldn't go to the conclusion that the rest of them are going to fail. Some people do that. I've seen mechanics that recommend changing all of them. I don't do that. I generally change the one that fails and go on. Yeah, well, a, Many times a it doesn't happen again. It's $100 part. So mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't suggest they change all of them. Mm-hmm. They just went with the one. Well, so, well, most likely, the other three are not going to all fail at the same time. You're right. going to get kind of the same warning you got with the last one? Yeah, and if it fails at all. Right. And see, if it's a four-cylinder engine, they're pretty they're right easy to change. Top. They're right yeah. down top. It takes 10 minutes to change them. The only time I do on a Toyota recommend a changing more than one car, let's say you had a V6, and one of the ones under the intake manifold failed. Well, i got to take the intake manifold off to get to that. That's, I about, might, five. That's yeah, about an extra two-hour job. I might suggest changing right. all three under the manifold for that reason, just because it's a lot of labor to come back. But on a four-cylinder... It's five minutes to come back and change that call. So I would only change the one. All right, good deal. All righty. Okay, Scott. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. I think we got time for one more call before the break. And we got Scott again. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Good morning. I'm over here in San Jose. You helped me out with my 40 Hudson before. So okay. got a new car. Hope you can help me out with this. I'll one. sure try. It's a 2008 Toyota Highlander. Mm-hmm. Just got it. 85,000 miles. Okay. And my first uh, delve into an automatic transmission. Okay. Never had one before. So all the service, I see all the service notes, all been done by a dealer. One thing they haven't done is change the transmission fluid. Yes, sir. In there. Now, this is something I'd like to do myself, Mm -hmm. go in, torque the valve body and that. But since I've never done it, I'm wondering, is it something that I've rebuilt motors, but I generally, I don't touch transmissions, carburetors, Uh or... Rear end. I understand. It's a little more difficult than some, depending on which transmission is in there. A lot of the newer Toyotas do not have a dipstick, so it's hard to determine exactly how much fluid to put back without some special tooling. Now, I do have an article on my website that covers that. Just type in Toyota transmission or something like that, and it'll bring it up. Probably the easiest thing to do, since you know there are no problems right now, likely the amount of fluid that's in there is the correct amount. As long as there's no leaks. There's no leaks. So you could just capture what comes out and then measure it and put the exact same amount back in. That's going to put you really close. Because to okay. get it properly done, you've got to have a special tool, and the engine has to be at full operating temperature. And some of them have a check plug you can take out that will overflow when it gets right, but you still have to get the engine warm to full to the, the trans a fluid, proper temperature. The trans, trans fluid, fluid has to be a certain temperature to check the fluid level that way. If it's too cold, the fluid level won't rise enough, and if it's too hot, the fluid level rises over that. And it's very so critical. So there, there is a range that that fluid has to, the temperature it has to be. Mm-hmm. 
And the website even goes into how you can check transmission temperature. There's a little tool that you plug into a couple of the leads on the OBD2 connector, and it'll give you a code which you can interpret as a temperature. Okay. So it's not something that cannot be done. It's just a little more difficult than it was in the past. Yeah, Toyota's real in-depth about getting that transfluid exactly right. Right, and that also is going to require a specific fluid called WS that you would be mm-hmm. well advised to buy from a Toyota dealer. Don't go with any type of universal fluid. Yeah, I plan on getting the filter and fluid from mm-hmm. them. Uh, you also mentioned that you cut open the filters and do that. Do you do that with a tin snips? It depends on the filter. Yeah, a lot of them are just plastic, and you can physically put it like in a vise and just rock oh. it back and forth, and it'll break, and then you can just pull it open. The ones that are metal, you could use tin snips, or you could, again, unfold a little fold. Right. It's just ah, the bottoms yeah. folded over the top. Some of them, the tops are plastic and the bottoms are metal. You can just reach there and, and unfold the metal off the plastic and nippers. take it apart. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like I'll dive in. All, All right. right, sir. Good well, luck. Thanks for calling, man. How's the weather Thank out you. in California? It's gorgeous. All it's right. gorgeous. Glad to hear it. Thanks for calling, man. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Louis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Louis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Don't! 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really called. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate your calls. Wish you'd give us a call today. That's 291-6901. Right now would be good. That's it. Just as easy as that. We were talking just a little bit about safety systems on cars and how they've gotten safer over the years. And the first generation of things, when they first started realizing, hey, a lot of people yeah, we got a problem hurt, here. hurt and killed. Yeah, right. so we need to do something. And they came out with what they call passive safety features. And one of the first was that they started recessing the door handles and the doorknobs into the door. Right. Because if you ever look back in a 40 or 50 mile car, those door handles used to stick out. Oh, yeah. It made them easy to grab because it's just, I guess they patented off a wagon. The handle stuck out and right. that's how it was. but. When you got people bouncing around inside of a car, that metal piece sticking out can do an awful lot of damage to a human sure body. It can. So by recessing them into the door panel, they made the car somewhat safer. Mm-hmm. And that was a very rudimentary step. And not only that, the dashboards, they were designing cars back in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. It was for looks. That's right. And they got to realizing, hey, these pointed things on the end of the steering wheel or the pointed knobs on the dash right. and, and all that. Man, those are very dangerous well, for a body it's, bouncing It's like around. little knives in there when a person starts bouncing around inside the car. So one of the next things they did was to pad the dash. Right. And I guess that came out, I don't remember the exact time, somewhere Something in the early 70s sit, maybe. Right. Well, this is before that. Maybe before 60s. that. I know if I had a 55 Chevrolet, it wasn't padded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
they started to pad the dash and pad the interior a little better. And yep. that was the next step up. And then they went to the collapsible steering column. Right. Before the collapsible steering column came around, there was a gearbox that was bolted to the frame, frame. rail mm-hmm. out front. And the shaft was made into it that ran all the way into the passenger compartment. Right. Had the steering wheel on it and everything. Right and that's in front how of the driver. You, that's how you steered the car. Well, well in, in an accident, and if that rail got punched, or if you were going forward in the right. car in the passenger compartment, you could get impaled on that steering shaft. That's right. It would drive it straight through your chest. And if you hit the front of the car hard enough to collapse the frame rail, well, that shaft had nowhere to go. That's it. It was going back in the passenger compartment. Well, that's right. I remember on one of Bob's 50-model cars, we rebuilt the steering box, had to take it out, and that steel shaft three quarters inch in diameter runs from that box all the way back you have to remove the whole runs, thing runs one in, piece internally in the box that's right to the steering wheel and all one if piece you push that steel. rail forward that's, you got a big old sword coming back directly at the driver's chest that's it that's, and what they did to, to retrofit that is they bolted the steering gear still bolted to the frame mm-hmm. rail kind of in the same place it needs to be mm-hmm. but there is a flex joint between the steering column and the steering box now right which allows a little bit of movement. Then the shaft is also collapsible. Like a telescoping shaft. Right. It's two pieces, and they're usually bonded together with a plastic stud through them so they don't mm-hmm. flex around and make noise. Right. But in a shear accident, that shear strips off and the plastic collapses. Right. The outside of the steering column itself is now... It's convoluted so that it can yes, collapse. convoluted. Mm-hmm. I've even seen some that look like expanded metal. Like a mesh. Right. And all that has place to go now. So when... In an accident, if the body goes forward into the steering column, the column is going to collapse along with the shaft, and that keeps that projectile from coming inside the vehicle with you. That's right. So, again, just preventing a horrendous occurrence by just a little bit of engineering. And, of course, on and on and on it goes. They have, over the years, just developed so many improvements, like the, the windshields and stuff in the cars. Of course, the first cars that came out just had a piece of glass up there. Right. That would shatter and cut people up. Then they came out with safety glass, which is two pieces of glass with a piece of plastic laminated between it. Uh-huh. So that when it gets hit, it stays intact. Right. It, it doesn't shear off doesn't like a, a single pane. Right. The side windows are sort of a hardened glass. It turns into like little crystals when it, it just shatters right. in little tiny crystals, which won't cut you. So, again, these are just different features. Along the line somewhere, they also start engineering the windshields. They used to be like a rubber gasket that held it in. And Correct. if the car body deformed, the windshield would pop out, which left a big old opening for people for, to get ejected. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're bonded in with a urethane. It's actually a glue. It's a glue. The windshield is glued in, and the plastic membrane is pretty tough. I'm not going to say that it would keep a 300-pound man at 70 miles an hour from going through it, but it's it going to sure definitely slow him down. Slow him down. Right. And under most cases, it's going to help to keep people inside the vehicle which is much safer than throwing them out and it's also now part of the body system now that's right instead of the windshield like you were saying popping out earlier and then going away it helps keep the post in place and things like that in the distortion of an accident right because that glass is pretty strong it's got a lot i mean i know it shatters but it has a lot of strength to it as well so it helps to support the body structure and it becomes part of the structure that becomes important when you have your windshield replaced right because the old days of just putting a bead of butyl rubber and gluing the windshield in, which would seal it from the elements, it wouldn't leak, but it was not structurally bound to the body. Correct. So now the body of the car has been weakened, which brings up kind of the second point and where we're going with all this. All these safety systems, even though they're passive, they're designed into the car, 
They well, have to be serviced properly to maintain their safety. Exactly. That's just like a crumple zone in a frame rail now. That's right. Most of your cars are unibody cars now. Mm-hmm. Very few, I don't know if they're even making a, a full-frame car. I'm not aware I'm of I'm not any. sure anybody's even making a full-frame car anymore. Most of them are all unibody, so they have crumple zones. And the reason you see such a high expense in an automobile accident is all that stuff is designed to take the impact and preserve the passenger compartment right. for the passengers. Well, you have a reinforced passenger coke, they call it, with high-strength, low-alloy steel. You have intrusion beams in the door, which secures all this area. But the front and rear areas of the frame or unibody are crumple zone because if they can collapse at a, a slow rate, rate right. then it will absorb the impact, cutting down on the inertia of the people inside the car and the G-forces that act on them in a collision. Now, the problem is when this stuff collapses, many times it has to be replaced. It can't just be straightened out. When it is straightened out, it has to be straightened out properly. You have to straighten it to restore these crumple zones. There's a certain procedure you have to go through to restore those crumple zones back. That's right. And if you don't, you've negated everything that was engineered into the car. And should they have to be changed, there is a certain position in that frame rail extension on that unibody where the work has to be done. That's it can't right. be done at that zone. It's got to be done further back That's right. at a designated spot. That's correct. I remember seeing a car a while back, and it had been hit in the front, and it had crushed the crumple zones, and they didn't want to change the rail. So someone just pulled them out. When it did, the metal cracked and uh-huh. split. They took a piece of quarter-inch steel right. and welded over it. And just plated over it. Thinking, well, we're going to make this stronger than it was before. Well, that's great, except the next person that gets in a rest will get ejected through that Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because the car isn't going to do what it's supposed to do. And that's why auto repair after a collision is so expensive nowadays. That's right. That's just part of it. Yeah, it's nice to have all these features that protect us. And I guess you could say they're priceless to the person who is in the accident. Sure. But there is also, like all technology, there's a cost to put it in there and there's a cost to maintain it. Correct. And the car, this particular car we're talking about was a death trap. I mean, it oh, shouldn't yeah. have even been on the road, and someone had bought the car. We found it on a pre-purchase inspection, and Lucky, he, well, he hadn't bought it yet, but he was thinking about buying it. I saw I said, man, nah, don't, it. you don't want to touch this. This, this right. is a death trap. You know, it's not something you want to do. It's been, made, you know, it's been repaired improperly. Correct. So it's something that could someone could get hurt. It shouldn't be sold at all. Hey, we got to take one more quick little break. Jim, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. 
Well, welcome back. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. I'm Louis Aldazan. Got Mr. Brian Terry right here by my side. Between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. We always love hearing from you. And that's what Jim did. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Hey, you guys. Doing great. Y'all take care of our 2012 Acura MDX. Okay, and we had uh, the oil change. We're 76-year-old, jumping over fences, old people. <laughs> and go. our uh, Acura has right at 20,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And we change, We we always change the oil very quickly because yeah. it has such hard service. Right, it doesn't get driven a lot. Yeah, and we got a flag from Honda that said it was time to do a brake flush and check the rear differential or, yeah. or change the rear differential. What year model is it? 2012. 12, okay, so it's going on almost four years old. It is four. Yeah, see, normally you would do a brake, change the brake fluid when you did brakes. But because you operate the car a small amount of miles, you probably haven't worn your brakes out yet. So it would not be a bad idea to exchange that fluid. It does get contaminated over time. It's alcohol-based fluid. It does absorb moisture. And if it's a all-wheel drive vehicle then it's going to have a rear differential and that rear fluid needs to be done at 30,000 miles is is what they say. But again, at four years, wouldn't be a bad idea. Well, we're going to do it then. And we, Mm -hmm. uh, how long does it take to do that job? A couple hours. Okay. We'll call in and make an appointment Monday and let y'all go at it. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. We're talking a bit about safety systems and cars, but we'll talk about any topic you might have. You just go ahead and give us a call. That's right. Right now is still a good time. we still got plenty, plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time. You know, we were discussing maintaining some of these safety systems and all, and what we were talking about up to now were basically the passive systems that are designed into the car when it's built that make it safe, the crumple zones and the padding classical and the and, classical columns and right. so on as that. Now, the next generation of safety systems are more active. Sure. These are your seat belts, your shoulder harnesses, and your airbag systems. And those have gotten pretty complex over the years. They've evolved on and on and on and on and on. Even something as simple as seat belt, you say, well, what's the big deal? It just plugs in. But nah, it don't just plug in anymore. It doesn't. <laughs> it it's, does a lot more than you realize. Well, to make it comfortable to wear a shoulder harness, you have to be able to move. Right. And... What these do is they move freely about. You can reach forward and all that. The belt will move. But in an accident, what happens is that inertia switch will lock the belt in place. Correct. Many of them also have an active pretensioner and a tensioner. And this is almost like a explosive charge in the base of that seat belt that when the car experiences a collision where the airbags are deployed, it will drive a spike completely through that retractor so that it first pulls back and then tensions and then locks right and that way it kind of pulls you back into the seat tight where you can stay safe in the seat and then it locks it right so it will not roll forward on you right which is a a great piece of technology and helps to maintain people in the car if you notice most of the seats now sort of sculptured around your body right by pulling you back into that seat it keeps you from moving side to side in the seat in the car, in case of a side impact and, and such as that. Right. But the only drawback to that system is now the seatbelt has to be replaced, replaced because there is no repairing once it, once, go, it once it's fires. set off, it will not be able to be repaired. It has to be replaced. Right. So you're going to have to replace the pretensioners on the seatbelts, and that just adds to the cost of the collision. 
the same thing when sometimes you're just driving along and your airbag light will start to flash. Right. And what it is, it may be a malfunction in the airbag system itself, but it can also be one of the seatbelt pretensions. I know Ford has had a lot of trouble with that. We've changed out a lot of Yeah, them. on the Grand Marquis and Crown Vic series particularly, and the on town, town car. cars, those pretensions go bad. Right. And the light will come on. And in my experience, what happens is that one goes bad, and then generally two, Not too long, two weeks one, later, the, <laughs> the other, other one goes bad. And those are expensive technology. They are. And so even though these things are nice, there is a price involved. And I can tell you that we were talking about the Ford product. Mm-hmm. When you do have to replace them, mm-hmm. it is a real nice product if you go back to the dealer to get these seatbelt mm-hmm. tensions. They come with the bolts, the clips, the covers. I mean, it's a strictly unbolt the old one, and you bolt the new one in with the new bolts, new covers, just like it was before. Right. I don't know if they even aftermarket those I've not seen an aftermarket one. There are some people around who are rebuilding those. They can change the charge in it somehow. I know. And change the belt. Yeah. I don't think they change the actual belt. And this is not for one that's deployed. Okay. Uh, once it's deployed, that's it. You got to right. replace it. But when they just come on, I got you. Uh, there the electrical is, part of it. Right. Them. The electrical part fails. Right. Charge fails. And I know there are because a gentleman brought a set in to me and asked if I would install them for him. I think taking a set out and the customer took them. Right. We inspected it. It looked really good. We put them in. It passed all the tests. So it seems to be working fine. So yeah. there is a way that if they haven't deployed yet, if they just fail, right. you can go in at a much lower cost and have, have these rebuilt. remanufactured or rebuilt huh. okay. or repaired. I don't think the average shop could do that. It's not something they would do in-house, but right. they can send them out, have them repaired, and save you a good bit of money because these are not inexpensive. I want to say in the, in the three to $400 a piece range, and I want to say the repair is a $75, $80 repair is uh-huh. what the gentleman told me. And of course, you got like an hour's labor involved either way to, to swap take it all out. out. Right. Uh, some of them may require programming to make it work. I'm not sure. Some of them, which ones do, which I'm, ones don't. I'm not sure. You'd have to, be, you'd have to look up the application. They have for to that. be configured to the but airbag some of them, computer. Some of them have to take the seat out, right. to get to the inside latch component. Mm-hmm. I know on that town car, you're supposed to in the instructions it says take the seat out, right, to access the inner lock, right. So, so just, there's there's just, a good bit of labor there. Yeah, all kinds of different ways and methodologies and things, and I guess it's just like we talk about almost every week technology is great if it helps somebody or if it saves a life or uh-huh. whatever i'm not too big on some of this technology that's just there just to just sell because, cars yeah just because but it always has a cost it yes. has a cost when you buy it it has a much higher cost when you replace or repair it and you just got to be sort of aware of that mm-hmm. because it's, it's just part of it let's go back to our phone lines we got james online good morning james oh how you doing doing great good morning. Oh, pretty good. Got a question for you. You bet. We got a 08 Infinity mm-hmm. and the BDC light has come on the thing and it says flip and I hadn't found anything causing it. Yeah, normally what that is, part of the traction control system and for whatever reason, the car has determined as a malfunction in that system. James, that's a pretty complex system with a number of components. It's got normally some type of a yaw sensor which detects sideways motion it's tied into the suspension where it knows when the car is traveling straight it's looking at a bunch of different factors and what it does when it determines the car is slipping or sliding what it will do is start to shut down the cylinders on the engine to lower the power it may even start to apply brakes diagonally to try to hold you in control and make your car drive straight 
you've serviced that more or less like you would service the check engine light. You have to go in with a specific tool on this. A normal code reader won't do it. I think it's a consult, isn't it? The console would probably tool. be the console three on that one. Right. You have to go yep. into the chassis control module to retrieve the codes. The code is going to tell you which circuit is causing the problem. And then you have to go into that circuit and pin test and figure out which component in that circuit is causing the problem. Once it's repaired, of course, light goes out and it's all working again. Now, one simple thing just to check if you've had the alignment, the wheel alignment set on the car anytime in the recent past and change the thrust angle of the car when they set the alignment and they didn't have the tooling or the equipment or the experience to go back and reset the system. See, because when you do alignment on that car, you have to go back and reset that trash control system. That's right. And that's no, one no. thing that can cause it to come on. All right. Another thing would be if you change tires and they went to a different size tire, especially if one tire is a different size from the other tires, all these things can cause it. But then there are components within the system that could just fail. Now, is the check engine light on by any chance? No, it's not on. Okay, good. Because sometimes when the check engine light comes on, it can make that light come on as well because it can't communicate between the modules. But if yeah. that, that light in even of itself is the only one that's on, more likely it's something to do with that traction control system. All right. All righty. Okay, sure. Appreciate it. We'll uh, see if we can bring it in and uh, let y'all look at it. All right, James. Thanks, man. All right, then. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. That sort of gets us to our next topic where uh-huh. we're going. James was very timely with his call. And you know, the first generation was the passive system. The second generation was the more active system, which was the airbags and, and the seat belts, seat belts and those right. sorts of things. The third generation is collision avoidance, avoidance to try to avoid a collision. And you could say the anti-lock brakes were one of the early parts of that system okay. where it helped you to maintain steering control in a lockup situation. Correct. From there, we evolved into traction control systems and even into pure collision avoidance where we've got sensors that can warn you when you're getting close to another vehicle. And on some vehicles, they can apply the brakes and stuff when you get too close to a vehicle. Right. We're going to talk a little bit more about that okay. in just a minute. We've got Charles online. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Yes, sir. Got a 08 Highlander. Alternator failed on me. Okay. I was able to get the bolts out, all the connections off. The bottom of that alternator will not let go for the life of me. Can't make that thing come out. And it is buried where you can't really see it. Yeah. Yes, it's either it's a bolt missed. in it or some of those, the way they're set up is there is a sleeve that goes through a bigger hole that the bolt goes through. So when you tighten it up, the sleeve slides into the alternator housing. And that's what takes up the gap. Instead of making the gap perfect, they put this little sleeve in there so they can make the gap bigger. And what happens is that alternator will fuse to that sleeve or that sleeve is still too tight against the alternator. Mm-hmm. So just make sure you have all the bolts out of it. I, I saw a diagram of the alternator. It's only two bolts, and I got both bolts out. Okay. okay. You, you, that bottom, I can go side to side, and I can, you know, you can roll it back. Kind rock of roller rock it. Okay. You right. may have but to it, it just won't let. You <laughs> won't may let have to put a little pry bar on it. Yeah. Or squirt or, some, some penetrating all down on that lower pivot area and try to rock it back and forth some, see if it'll break free. Because I've seen okay. those hang up. Yeah, if all the bolts are out, it's just stuck yes. in there. It's a, a steel sleeve on an aluminum bracket, so you got dissimilar metals. They tend to corrode to each other, and, and they can seize up like that. 
All right. And, and real crazy. Yeah, don't get, say, don't get real crazy with a pry bar. It. Right. Because you will break it. What I like to do is kind of get that pry bar in between the, the alternator and the bracket and just kind of work the alternator on it. Use it kind of as a leverage. Don't pry with uh, the bar. Just kind of use the alternator back and forth, wiggle it, and a lot of times just that extra bit of face taken up in there, the alternator will roll out. All right. Appreciate the word. All, All right, right, sir. Thank Good you. Good luck. Mm, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And as we were talking about collision, collision systems and all right. that, and cars now, some of the newer stuff has the, the sensors that can tell you when you're getting too close to a car. You have the backup sensors right, and even cameras and all. And we'll talk about that a little more in the next section. We're going to take a quick little break. Be right back with more. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. You go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we're going line with Dave. Good morning, Dave. Hey, Louis. Well, got a transmission question okay. for you. I have a 96 Dodge Ram 1500, mm-hmm. 5.9 liter. And about five years ago, you guys put in a, a remand for me. Mm-hmm. It's been doing just fine. Okay. But recently, it was not shifting upon acceleration, and okay. then it would, if I let off, it would shift. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a service on it, you know, dropped the pan, mm-hmm. changed the oil and filter and right. so forth, and nothing looked really unusual, mm-hmm. except for yesterday when I was driving back from work, it would not shift out of first after a while. Mm-hmm. So I limped on home and just kind of wondering, is never done a band adjustment on it. Well, and that's not going to be a band. a lot of miles. Yeah, that's not going to be a band thing. That is possibly an outside problem something like a throttle position sensor can cause that because that transmission all the shift points are electronically controlled uh-huh. and they're controlled through sensors it has to see several things and there's when it goes to shift it looks at the position of the throttle it looks at the amount of acceleration it looks at a lot of factors and it decides computer decides when to shift and when it shifts okay. it fires a solenoid it could be a bad solenoid could it be a could bad be a connection. Bad connection, a wire that got pulled loose. I mean, there's lots of ah. things. So the last thing in the world you want somebody to do is go crack into that transmission because okay. once the transmission is opened up, then all diagnosis ends at that point. What right. needs to happen is you need to bring it to someone who knows what to do and put a pressure gauge on it and a scan tool and go drive it, see what the commands look like and see what the pressures look like. And if the okay. command is present and the pressure is rising 
and it's still not shifting. Well, now we're inside transmission, but if we don't have a command or if we have inadequate pressure for some reason, then we could be you know outside of the unit. So you need to have a good diagnosis before you let anybody touch it because once the transmission's out the car, all diagnosis ends at that point. Yeah. And what we've seen is a lot is the trans gets changed and the new trans still has the same still won't problem. <laughs> right. And, and that's you, really embarrassing. <laughs> and then you end up getting it diagnosed and right. getting it fixed yeah. after that with right. the cost of a two, three, maybe four thousand yeah, we'll, dollar trans. We'll get people to go get a transmission put in their car and then bring it to us because yeah. it still won't shift, you know. So yeah, that is not I wouldn't necessarily I mean I don't like the fact that it won't come out of first, although it still could be an outside problem. Okay. Is it problem if uh limp it in first at 30 miles an hour to a shop how far do you like, have to drive it i wouldn't go real I mean, far yeah I mean, i'd have it too wow yeah you'd be better to <laughs> tow it because yeah. okay. i mean it might cost you a couple hundred dollars to tow it but if you yeah. burn that transmission up you're gonna be in the big big bucks yeah okay so it'd be better to tow it to someone I, I don't think i would risk it now next time you drive it it may start shifting again they will do that also because the computer may have put it in limp mode because it saw something it didn't like so you might just try to drive it if it drives and it makes the shifts just drive it real easy and you could but well, if it's stuck in first or second gear no i would not have you cycled the key since you've driven it last i mean because uh, sometimes when you, okay and yeah. it's still hanging in first yes okay yeah like lewis was saying it'd probably be best to go ahead and have it towed yeah i think you'd be dollars better yeah. off to, to tow it somewhere yeah i did get a solenoid code but then it went away Right, right. But see, a solenoid code, it's always set that. It just sets that when the pressure doesn't rise. But it could be because the sensor didn't send it. It could be because the wire's bad. It could be because something's blown out inside the unit and the solenoid's opening, but it can't build pressure. So That's just the way the program was written. If it sees this, then turn this light on. Right. Yeah, well, I got 449,000 on it. Wow. You got got your money's worth. You did pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, not on the transmission, but on the uh, vehicle. Yeah, that's great. All right, well, I'll... uh, Maybe about getting it brought in somewhere and Sounds maybe bring it to you guys, have you look at it. Sounds great. Just just see what happens. Yeah, all right. All right. Thank all right. Dave, thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we got Percy online. Good morning, Percy. Hey, good morning, guys. Good morning. Hey. I'm calling from Fresno, California, oh, born and raised in Baton Rouge. Good deal. Well, cool. I have like a general question. I always hear you guys talking about calls talking about it shifted into overdrive. Mm-hmm. I was wanting to know what that means. Great question. Percy, I don't know if anybody's ever asked that before, but what overdrive is, you have a first gear, a second gear, and a third gear, which are first gear is geared down, and let's just say it's two to one. Then second yeah. gear is maybe one and a half to one. Third gear is generally going to be direct. It'll, And I'm talking about a four-speed transmission. That means it's yes, one sir. to one as the outputs turn, the inputs turn. Overdrive is driven up. In other words, it might be 0.9 to 1, so that what it does is it allows the motor to slow down, and there's relative to the speed of the vehicle, the engine is running slower. So the reason okay. we use an overdrive is to slow engine speed down to give us better fuel mileage. In other words, gotcha. the, the engine's turning slower than the, the output shaft of the transmission. And less emissions. Because the engine is running slower now. Right. It improves emissions and improves fuel mileage. And it's overdrive because it's turning faster. It's it's actually gearing it up rather than gearing it down like it traditionally does. Okay. All righty. I have one more question. You bet. Okay. My uh, father-in-law just purchased a Ford Edge with a 2-liter EcoBoost. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Y'all guys see anything on there? Anything special? Seen a few problems with them, Percy. Most of the newer Ford products, I'm not real crazy about. The air conditioner gives a lot of trouble in them. Normally around 40,000, 50,000 miles, the compressor seems to come apart. We've changed a lot of those out. Also, that engine probably requires a synthetic blend. Make sure he uses a synthetic blend all in it and make sure he yes, changes sir. it real timely. Because we've seen a lot of internal engine problems, but in my opinion, it's because people were going too long between changes. Yeah, I shared a, I shared an article with him that mm-hmm. you wrote about the uh, timing guys on the Ford and mm-hmm. make sure you use the uh, yeah, yeah. land in the OEM filter. Mm-hmm. There you go. If he does that and maintains it properly, I don't think he'll have too much trouble other than possibly some air conditioning issues. And what you want to do, if the air conditioner starts acting flaky, like it's just not cooling as well as before, get it in real fast. Don't wait till it fails catastrophically, and you may be okay. able to prevent some of that. Well, thanks, guys. I listen to you guys every weekend, and even when I'm at work, I listen to your podcast, like, you know, periodically because I'm, I'm bored at work. So. <laughs> uh, well, good <laughs> deal. Well, thank you. Good deal. Thanks, Percy. You guys have a good day. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. We still got a few minutes. That's a couple of calls from California today. Hey, how about that? There you go. <laughs> a couple time zones uh, away from ours. But, That's right. Uh, well, they got to get up pretty early in the morning to make that call, I would imagine. Well, it's, I don't know. <laughs> roll, so he's about two hours earlier. Yeah. Two to three hours earlier mm-hmm. than it is here. So yep. that's... Pretty good. Yeah, that's right. Still getting up early for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking just a little bit about some of the advanced collision avoidance systems. And, of course, the backup cameras and the backup warnings uh-huh. are one thing. They keep you from backing into things or over things. I've seen them on the front of vehicles now. Right. I brought in a Toyota Tundra the other day. Mm-hmm. Come into the shop. And we come into the shop. We kind of cut the door close. Right. And the, the alarm goes off. And I, was, well, I had to stop. And I, Wait a yeah, minute. what was that? I, what was that? You know, I, I knew where the truck was at. It's uh-huh. just the little alarm went off and right. kind of startled you. It saw that baluster next to the door. And That's it. And it said, wait, you're too close. proximity <laughs> and said, hey, this is too close. Yep. And the next generation beyond that is the collision avoidance where it's tied in. They've got the front frontal sensors, and they can determine that you're getting too close to the vehicle ahead of you, and they can apply the brakes. Uh-huh. They'll shut down engine power, apply brakes, turn off cruise control automatically. Which, I guess it's a nice feature because people being what people are, you can get distracted, you right. can get tired, you can just not be paying attention, and this may help save your life. So, sure. again, the only thing you have to remember with all this technology is there is a price involved in it. Those sensors are expensive. If you get into a little fender bender and you hit the front bumper, the cost of that's going to probably be increased by five, six, $700 over the normal cost because you busted so many sensors now exactly also it may very well malfunction at some point in time which is going to involve some diagnosis because with electronic systems like that you can't just look at it and see what's wrong it's not like the old days where your water pump started leaking well it was pretty clear water's running out of this hole it's, the water it's bad. pump's bad right i'll change the water pump with electronics you can't do that well it's like anything electronic that's, you have to diagnose it to fix right. it and that's why diagnosis is where it's at because it saves money over trying to swap parts out. Because you start swapping out five, six hundred dollar components, it's gonna get real expensive real fast. And probably never fix the problem. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to the automotive hour this morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends and get some more people listening. That's right. And if you're the site you listen through go has a place for a written review, we appreciate you giving us a written rating. It kind of moves us up so more people can hear us. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.